0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Fearon. Well, the podcast series that I've been building for 157 episodes has now taken another wonderfully positive turn toward another Sauter practitioner, Maria Kingery who with her husband built a green energy uh, design enterprise in North Carolina. And then for the additional part of her time, she is helping develop B Corps around her region, her company being one of the very first B Corps for that state. So that's the turn. I've found another person who I like a lot uh, from just the first 30 minutes we've talked, whose work I really value. And I know you will learn a great deal about what it means to align your practice in a endeavor, a company that whose purpose is that it's going to have a lot of really positive impact on society, the community, and the people who Do the work within it. This is the future, folks. This is the future. And this is Maria Kingery. Well, folks, this is what... Oh, the magic of this work that I'm doing is that when you meet someone who's really interesting and interested in her practice, she will say, well, you should also follow up with another person who's very interested in her practice. And the both of those practices, Lizzie Friedman's and Maria Kingery, are rooted in their belief that businesses do have social impact and they can be designed to make sure that that impact is positive in every possible regard. So I uh, found Maria and I am so excited about learning about uh, all that she does and the big question for the practice podcast is always why why this and of all the things you could do with your life now maria t- t- tell us first about the things you just told me the two things that keep a hundred percent of your time occupied
1: yeah thanks dave i'm really excited to be here and really respect the work that you're doing i'm grateful for that So I am co-founder and chief impact officer of an organization called Southern Energy Management that has been a B Corp since 2009. Uh, We've recertified. I think we're coming up on our fourth or fifth recertification Mm -hmm. Uh, and this year in 2022 and we do solar and green building work in the triangle area of North Carolina, have about 150 team members. So definitely get to practice uh, with, with that group. And then that's about 20% of my time. And then 80% of my time, I realized uh, several years back that this whole concept of like doing the work and bringing it to life inside of. Organizations was something that I'm passionate about. And so I work with other impact driven organizations to help them really operationalize uh, their impact uh, goals and become uh, work on their organizational development, leadership development, developing their middle managers, uh, all around this concept of how do they have a greater impact in the world.
0: Wow. (laughs) And I I suspect we throw another 20% of your time to make it 120% so you can take (laughs) care of other matters and, and, uh, take care of family members and all the things that we do this, um, I had told you in introducing myself that I was only aware, even as a business professor, of the whole notion of B Corp and Benefit Corp because of my collaboration with Kate Emery some years back, who here in Connecticut felt that she didn't want to hand her business over when she finally uh, was ready to do that, to just anyone who would then change uh, all of the things that made the business, I think, pretty darn wonderful in regard to how they treated people, from the customers and other stakeholders to to their employees. And so, uh, I started learning and uh, learning by doing, and went through that that whole process. And then we sh- made sure that my business students, the management students that I was teaching undergraduates, were well aware that they could be very proud of a life in business, despite what they hear in the gory headlines and even despite the way they're treated when they're working part time in some of the corporations and uh, to not give up that uh, expectation that when you're ready to put your life into the hands of a business, make sure that you believe in what they do. So you are doing this work. When before you got started in the work in North Carolina in that company, what were you doing before that 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 brought you to the point where you went, whoa, this is what I want to do. I want to do this kind of work in the green in the green impact uh, aspects of, of business.
1: Yeah, well, in some ways, David goes all the way back to childhood, right? You know, I grew sure. up in a beautiful part of Virginia that, that very much connected to the environment, spending lots of time outside and then also uh, feeling my mother was a small business owner. And so I watched how she uh ran her business and really people forward. And so the combination of those two things uh, have really been inside me, I feel, for my entire life, Uh, just something that is in my DNA. But then specifically starting Southern Energy Management uh, shortly after 9-11, as many people did, sort of taking Mm. stock of what is it that we are doing with our lives? My husband and I uh, had both had the opportunity to work at Burt's Bees, which was when we started working there, a very small company, and watched it grow uh, rapidly and do it in a way that was outside of the norm. You know, really watched the founders there, and particularly Roxanne Quimby, take a stand for the environment and the way that she um, chose the packaging for the products, the way that she chose uh, the models that she used. I used real people as opposed to like supermodels and things like mm-hmm. that. And just a very grounded, I would say, an authentic way of doing business. And so after 9-11, my husband and I, and he was also a child of entrepreneurs. We wanted to start a business and we wanted it to be a business that made a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And Solar and green building were, you know, very fringe at the time. Like, oh, you know. yeah. Oh, yeah. and, you know, it was, this was 2000, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, 2001 yeah. Uh, when we founded the business, but for us, it really was, we happened to be pregnant with our first and now we know only child and we wanted, I mean, it's cliche as it sounds, we wanted to run a business that we were proud of and that was going to make some small impact and making the world a better place for him and generations to come.
0: Wow. I'll do. I have to, do a quick segue to Bert Speed's. Uh, you might have noticed I have a slight main accent.
1: <laughs> it, I wondered about that. <laughs> it,
0: it gets to be a little less slight as I go along in this conversation, but uh, we were. Uh, in Maine and I was a Dean of public service in the university of Maine system when, um, bird speeds was created. Oh, wow. And it, uh, one of my daughter's friends was the daughter of the person who founded it. And the name does not come to mind, but Anna, yes. yes. And, and I was, I was very much moved by the fact that what you just said, it was a Maine way of producing something of value to others the, the skincare, care, the, all of the things that Burt's Bees was involved in, they were insistent upon it being grounded in the way uh, anyone would in Maine would want to be treated. And that was sort of the way I grew up as a native of Maine. We, we you know, definitely the golden rule took care of an awful lot of our behavior and uh, granted those, those are idyllic times too, but yeah. the pragmatic aspect of that business, which grew very well and, you know, went on to sort of like Ben and Jerry's, it, reached a point where in, in order to scale it, <laughs> it yeah. had to be sold. But while it was growing, that was uh, I I was also influenced by it. So here we are uh, together yeah, right. on that. The other thing about solar um, at that time, we uh, were in the energy crisis in the 70s. And uh, we gra- raised the money to create an energy awareness and, and uh, problem solving uh, service. Uh, to um, uh, pretty much alleviate as much as possible the dependence on on fossil fuel. And I can remember Tom Eastler, one of our wonderful ge- geology professors who was just said, Maine can be we don't need oil. And yes, we can burn wood, which is a start, but even that's pollutant. But let's move ahead. And then someone came to one of our skull sessions, as we call them, and said, uh, I don't know if any of you all noticed, but if you look up right now, you'll see that we have a whole lot of sun and a hell of a lot of wind. (laughs) This is the 70s, early 80s. You're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) What do we do about it? And then we were sort of thinking, well, solar might be on its way, but it was extraordinarily expensive back then. So by the time you reached uh, that, um, point and we were able to see how solar could be commercialized and also made available to, to homes how did that go what was some of your early experiences in getting that um, not only off the ground but for people to even care to change from their dependence on on fossil fuel and gas. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, so what's interesting is, you know, Southern Energy Management is we do we have about half of our people do solar work and about half of them do uh, energy efficiency or green building consulting. And what we right. discovered, and, and that was really by accident. I would love to say that that was by design, but it was really by accident because when we started off, you know, gung ho in the solar industry, what we quickly realized in 2001 was that it was priced out of the reach of most people yeah. i mean i think uh, the panels themselves at that time were like 12 dollars a watt and just for for reference like now they're somewhere in the way of 1 dollar like 55 cents uh per watt and so it's become much much more affordable but at the time it was you know, it was one of our very first lessons in business was oh, wait, people actually have to have a willingness to pay for uh, <laughs> you know, they, we could have all the altruistic ideas in the world, but yeah, there were very few uh pure solar customers in the very beginning, which is why, but we were really rooted in this idea of we wanted to do something about energy. And yeah. so when uh we became familiar with the concept of green building and like actually reducing the energy loads of the building so that it would need less energy uh we we grasped onto that and uh that was how you know these two pieces that we believe again are interconnected like it's how in the built environment it's how you make and use energy are interconnected but it was it was quite by accident in the beginning
0: when our survival, uh, I would say it was for Matt. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> that desperation is the mother of invention <laughs> That's and, right. and and entrepreneur life is, as I'm sure you know, you've lived yeah. for a while and now you're helping others, which we'll get to in a moment. But I'm I'm thinking about um, the green aspect and it's still failure, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, we had. Uh, in my energy resource center, we had uh, ways to tell people to seal their windows, mm-hmm. but be careful. Don't do it if you're going to f- stove fire going in there, you can leave some air, all that stuff to kind of conserve what energy was, avail- was gener- you know, the heat, which was generated. Um, but that's not quite the same as green, is it? That you know and is it saving energy by retrofitting houses is I think part of it. but what's the the whole the the green scheme? Maria? yeah. yeah
1: well it really goes from the beginning of when you're thinking about designing the house right okay yeah or, or any building right it's, it begins there and so things as like the orientation of the home what you know or the building will it be suitable for solar you know designing it such that you know your roof space that you've got the space to generate on-site electricity um and so you know we talk about it as a continuum right so the the very basic is let's build a house or or retrofit, which we don't we actually don't do the retrofitting side. Other companies do that. Mm-hmm. But let's make sure that it's as efficient as possible again mm-hmm. and healthy. And then we ta- only then do we talk about like adding adding renewables to it, to. Mm-hmm. You know, our vision is ultimately—you know—we'll live in zero energy homes. I mean, we we've helped uh, to build several of those, and you know, they're a reality now. And even some that generate more electricity than they produce than they consume, uh, but it's still the exception and not the rule. But it but it really is that whole like, and it's a—it's really a matter of. Awareness and and having that intentionality around, you know, this building. Hopefully, we're building buildings that are going to be around, right, for
0: a long time, a good,
1: a good long while. Mm-hmm. And so, thinking about the life cycle of those buildings and what the mm-hmm consumption is, you know, and when you get really fancy about it, you start thinking about the materials that you're using and uh, where they came from.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. You yeah. Know, It can be a whole journey. You don't throw a lot of plastics in a house that's going right. to be, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or anything that uh, like that's a lot of thinking. And, and, and you're, you're requiring your customers, your clients to, espouse the values that you share in a way, don't you? I mean, they may not have the whole picture, but there's got to be some root sentiment there that, that you know about and you find, and you have a conversation. And pretty soon there's a house design or a store design or a factory design. Uh, what is it like when you find someone who's receptive to doing it differently?
1: Yeah. Well, and the, beginning, of course, Dave, that was, that was sort of difficult, right? I know
0: you're uh, looking for where's Waldo, right? Exactly. In the crowd, <laughs> the one guy with a little stripy hat.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, I remember <laughs> one of our first builders that we started to work with was a third generation builder. And, you know, he was a young guy and he was like all into it. And he was like, yes, this is what we need to do for the environment. It's just the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. his parents who were, you know, the second generation were like, this is crazy. Like people aren't going to pay for For this people aren't going to buy this and so it really it's been interesting you know to see the evolution that has occurred over time because in the beginning it really was it felt like we were evangelizing right and we were having to convince people and now it's almost expected right the market has come along and the consumer is really driving it uh they want more efficient homes and they want uh the products that that we're helping our builders and developers and towns and things to provide. But in the beginning, it really was, uh, and it was, you asked the question, what did it feel like? Uh, it was, it was like very exciting when we found someone who, you know, wanted to, to, to share our vision for what buildings could be.
0: You still have, that house in the region where you're where you're working? Can you like go by and say this is our this is our first?
1: (laughs) I'm sure, you know, I'm I'm, there are still several homes that uh, were early, early uh, Mm -hmm. that and one of the first eventually we got into larger and larger scale solar and one of the first utility scale solar systems that was ever built. Uh, in North Carolina is literally like I drive by it to get to my house every day. That that our company put up, so that that's kind of
0: cool. How does that feel when you drive by and take a quick glance?
1: You know, it's interesting. We have uh, we divested the utility scale part of our business. Yeah, I want
0: to get to the other part, too. The other 80 percent. But this is this is is very much what practice is about. When you go buy something that was a first for you and ever since you've seen evolution and there it is and you glance at it. There's gotta be a sentiment there. <laughs>
1: well, there is. I mean, I would say I have a obviously some sense of pride,
0: mm-hmm. in that
1: because, and and really, if this sounds a little odd to say, but almost, I'm I'm proud that we took the risk because we were doing something that hadn't really been done before, right. and so when I think about our company uh, that we built. Uh, it really, there's a strong, the word I frequently will use is pioneer. Like we pioneered some things Yeah. and you, you, as a mainer, right. You, you're you yeah. well familiar with the, the concept of, it's just like, this is what we want to see in the world and somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to go first. So, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's go for it. And so I'm, I'm proud of that version of myself and, yes. and that, there's a lot to be afraid of, right?
0: Yeah. Were there moments when you and your husband looked at each other and said, uh, let's get on the, in a newspaper and look for the one ads? Oh, of <laughs> this, course. Is, this is right. This is too crazy. <laughs> the oh, heck oh, with Burt's Bees. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. And I mean, you know, staying true to our vision and to our mission really is what I believe has kept us going through those mm. times. And, you know, I've spoken about this in other places before, like, you know, we had the the near death experience of our company that many organizations go through right when they experience rapid growth. And there mm. were many days that we looked at each other and said, what have we gotten ourselves into? But I will say this, I never questioned whether it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I questioned whether I had the skills, right, and and I had the tools in my toolbox to be growing mm-hmm. a rapidly, you know, fast growing company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't. I never questioned whether we were doing the right thing.
0: Well, that's awfully important, Maria. Definitely, uh, what gets the 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 best people through those those terrible uh, moments uh, is is belief in the right thing, which now takes us to the benefit corporation itself, because it's a sort of a codification, not a sort of it is a codification and a reinforcement that the people who found and develop and sustain a particular business believe they're doing the right thing. And I would add to that no matter what, right. uh, because we have been through two and a half years now of no matter what. <laughs> of every kind from human health to the shaking of our institutions, uh, you name it. Uh, So you, you, you really should be doing the right thing uh, or what, what's the alternative? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, being a B Corp. So we became a B Corp in 2009. We were, I think number 10 or something in North Carolina, we've never even heard of such a thing, right? We were uh, had always tried to run our business. One of the things that we always said was, it's not just what we do, but how we do it. And mm-hmm. we would always tried to run our business in a, uh, in a way that was sustainable for our people and for the environment. But we didn't have a way to know. That we were doing it, quote unquote, the right way until we learned about B Corporation. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting certified and finding that community of people yeah. was a huge, huge piece, you know, going back to you know where we began the conversation, like yeah. all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, we're not alone. And we're not these crazy people like trying to run a business. Because I remember talking with uh, a friend of mine and a fellow entrepreneur about sort of this triple bottom line. You know, that was the language back then that people were using. And she said to me, gosh, Maria, one bottom line is hard enough. Like, what do you want to take on two more?
0: (laughs) Two more. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, (laughs) So. yeah. And it is what I believe, you know, we'll said we celebrate our 20th anniversary. Uh, and I think that's what's helped us to stay the course
0: uh, over time. How do you fi- how did you find the B Corp community?
1: Well, the B Corp, as I mentioned, when I first became acquainted with this group of people and, and recognized that there was this Uh, community of businesses who were committed to, and the phrase that uh, we use now is using business as a force for good. Mm -hmm. It was, what's the overwhelming emotion that I felt? I would say relief and and excitement that, first of all, there were other people that we could learn from. You You know, there were there were people who were who were also engaged in this work and that we could learn from their best practices. And honestly, you know, not just the things that worked well for them but the things that didn't work well for them. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know, we wouldn't have to make some of the same mistakes as a community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I will say, you know, I've been involved with quite a few business, you know, entrepreneurial types of communities there is none in the world like the b corp community i mean the the support and the the sense of kinship and camaraderie that because it's a big deal to make a commitment that we're going to have a third party verify that we are meeting these standards right i mean that's That's and it's not a simple process and it's 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 a real commitment. And so to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with other organizations, large and small, who have made that same commitment uh, has been. I I mean, it's fueled the passion of my life, I would say.
0: Wow. You're great. You're a great spokesperson for (laughs) this. And it's a movement because it's still young. As, far as I can tell, we're not talking decades here. Uh, uh, do, you, do you have, this is an unfair question, but do you have any knowledge of who started this whole movement as a person or an? Uh, Yeah. So
1: it was three, three guys, uh, Bart Houlihan and Jay Cohen Gilbert and Andy. Oh gosh. Poor. I always forget Andrew's last name. That's so bad. But anyway, they're a friend, Andrew, and they had run, they had run a company called and one that was sold. And when that company was sold, the, Uh, The new the buyer did not uphold many of the uh, social and environmental things. So that was so they founded it. They started it. It was amazing.
0: And and, you know, we're talking about nationwide and beyond Yeah. uh, from their disappointment and what happened when they sold their company to the moment where someone like you is saying that this this is uh, such an invigorating affiliation oh, yeah. uh, for you to be in at at this time in your career. What about that other eighty percent now? Are you helping spread the the B Corp uh, light, you know, to the darker corners of the North Carolina Virginia area?
1: I hope so. I hope so. That's the intent. Uh, so now I spend the majority of my time working with other organizations you know you asked about the founders I remember having a conversation with Bart uh, Houlihan he happened to be in North Carolina when SCM Southern Energy Management was really down in the the depths of our despair and Mm he sat in front of my desk and said Maria no money no mission I mean I was just beside myself that we were having to lay people off and we we're having, you know, having to make some really difficult business decisions. And he said those words to me, no money, no mission. And where I'm going to relate that back is about six years ago, I recognized that Southern energy Management had gotten to the point where the B Corp values, the B Corp commitment was firmly embedded. Uh, our core values, I just really felt like the, the op- way the company was operating did not need me on mm. a day to day basis to make sure that it continued on, on, a, on a right path. and so at that point i really took a look at well where can i add the most value and Mm -hmm. so i decided to go out and work with other uh purpose-driven organizations impact organizations particularly environmental and social to help them to install tools you know we refer to as an operating system just like your phone has an operating system operates in the background uh your business needs an operating system so how do we have effective meetings how do we have you know meaningful conversations with our team members uh you know setting setting you know baseline foundational tools into an organization uh in order to help them to be successful because And again, you know, we talk about it in terms of like, you've got a great purpose that starts with that, then that attracts great people. Once you have great people, you need a great playbook. How are you going to do your work together? And then you need to measure performance, make sure that you're that you're actually achieving the things that you're setting out to. And from that at the center, then comes prosperity. And so it's not yes, money, no money, no mission. That's a key part of prosperity. But it's broader than that. Uh, Also, how are you treating your people and how are they growing and your customers and all those
0: I, I think of that notion of prosperity. You know, so I'm almost 80. <laughs> I know I don't look it. Yes, I no, do. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking of the time when prosperity was a political campaign. You know, peace with prosperity, 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 and uh, it's it it flows back and in and out of my awareness over time. I haven't heard it much recently, and I realize that you know, we've been we we had a couple of real big calamities in 2008 9 and you know then through the pandemic and uh having worked with young adults as a professor for during all of those times I I used to feel almost wishful that they had understand that prosperity is not economics alone yeah that it's not what an accounting spreadsheet will uh, you know, we will tell you, and that it's 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 a state of being. Yes, and an individual who's prosperous may not have, as we would say in Maine, a pot to piss in. <laughs> but we they say have, that in Virginia too. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that on my own podcast. But yeah. but they they had a prosperous way about them, mm-hmm. and it used to fascinate me. I, I would be with people who you know, picked up a hammer and made a, made a living for the day. And they would seem very happy. And I remember asking as a kid, you, know, you want to make 25 cents an hour doing this. And yeah, but we got food on the table and we got a roof over our head, got my church. And there was a sense of uh, prosperity in, in that way. Just one can determine for herself or himself that this is, they're going to prosper in whatever they have at hand now but you bring in an idea, a purpose that others will pay for and, and eventually pay well enough so that you can do, be profitable. But also what, what I remember of what Kate Emery did in her B- benefit corporation charter was, we're going to give one-third of our profits to social causes. So she put money on the table. For, yeah. for those values. And another third was going to go into uh, benefiting the employees and so, not an ESOP, but something along right. the lines of pro- employee ownership. So, and the other third, she and her husband, you know, they can live comfortably. So they've yeah. determined how to prosper and, and without going the route of so many people who could have driven that corporation right up to the point where... Mm-hmm. You know they were living higher uh, higher up in the hill yeah it's, by it's, the way it's, <laughs> kate, kate Kate is now uh, stopped both ceo of reset and her company and she's now painting very happily painting landscapes mm-hmm. and so forth you'll hear her podcast uh re- very recently and she's giving she'll she, right now she's painting uh sunflowers mm-hmm. and people who purchase those a, uh, 70% of what they pay for that uh, painting will go to the to re- Ukrainian support. So this is the way that you can tell a person who built two businesses around the idea of what you're discussing doesn't just turn around and say, okay, I'm going to paint pictures. She still has the same ethos. I suspect you would be doing that too if you ever <laughs> stopped getting busy and wanted to try something of a hobby nature. It never it never would work that you would do it solely for yourself, Mary. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. No, I mean, so there's an interconnectedness, right? And in the B Corp community, that's one of the big the declaration of interdependence. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean, a big part of what prosperity means to me is that this interconnectedness is respected and is considered. and is is valued and and invested in, you know, as as you said. So uh, largely in my work, I think of that in terms of, you know, the people that we're impacting and then the impacts that they're having uh, outside of of. The organization. One of the big things uh, that I'm most passionate about, and it's become uh, something of a popular topic right now, is this whole concept of like being able to be, you know, fully inclusive and people being able to bring their full selves to work, which has been, you know, things we've been talking about for a long time. But COVID really, really brought it home like, how do we actually do that? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the the core concepts is like everybody in the organization should have be equipped with the tools to be able to run a great meeting, not just the, you know, the managers, right? right? Everybody. So you sort of level that playing field so that everybody in the organization is able to contribute. Everybody in the organization have a, should have a say on how are we measuring success? really. Right. Uh, yes. Profitability is important because we have to be sustainable. But like, maybe that's not the end all be all. Yeah. One
0: it's of not- the uh, one of the real uh, interesting challenges we had in our strategic meetings for reset uh, in uh, in our board meetings was to uh, try to help people understand social impact, try to make it. Concrete enough so that when we'd go out, say, well, we want to talk about impact uh, because it's easy to show people how much money you have or don't have. But it's not always that easy to measure social impact. But in the process of trying to learn how to do it, we learned a lot about social impact. So I guess the point is, if if you want to know what impact you have, figure out a way to find out, you know, if you if your intention is to. Uh, you know, uh, not only affordable housing, but energy self-sufficient housing, uh, then there's an impact right there. So, yes, dedicate yourself to it and you can take people down the street and say, I did that. <laughs> we did that.
1: And, you know, you mentioned like, how do you how do you measure it and how do you know? I mean, that was one of the things that we that Southern Energy Management did in the you know green building and and that aspect of our work was go out and verify homes and like do testing to verify. And sure. so when, when we learned about B Corp, it was like, hey, guys, We, this is what we do. We verify. We're third party verifiers. Of -hmm. course, we would want to be third party verified. And, you know, I would say, I think uh, currently 75% of the clients that I work with are certified B Corps. And uh, another couple want to are on the path the journey. And then I've got a few who they're never going to be certified b Corps. that's not their goal. but from for them, we're still talking about impact and looking within the framework of the sustain, sustainable development goals and like okay, so where do you you know you say you want to to have an impact in the world which one of these are you know for your business or? Mm-hmm things that you can that you can tackle and uh and the importance of just setting the goal and then working towards it and then communicating it all things that you taught your your
0: yeah we did but it was but it it didn't have as much heart in it as i'm (laughs) hearing in this it really i mean we talk about goal setting from from forever but it was largely uh, they those things would be measured in business ease, which, yeah. you know, largely was a language of finance and accounting. And of course, an organization behavior professor like myself was always... Uh, saying, well, wait a minute, you know, it's really, we're speaking human here. (laughs) And so let's talk about goals in terms of the change in the circumstances of people's lives. Uh, And then they look at me and say, yeah, is is this going to be on the test? No, the kids weren't that, the kids actually got it. And I've had former students in my podcast series. Now you'll hear one, I just finished editing and you'll hear it this week. Uh, Estefania, who, you know, is working for a major insurance company now is a marketing analyst and you think she loves to crunch numbers, but you'd listen to her and you'll hear that she sees a lot beyond the numbers in terms of the story that numbers tell and and her concern about the people who are affected by those numbers. So, yeah, it works. It does. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at my time and I really this so much this so much more. I, I want to know and I'm talking too much, David, you're talking too much. But uh, when you're out there working uh, people and now you're in the goal setting process, what sort of things are people aspiring to these days? What what do they want to make their business somewhat unique in their terms of their purpose? Have you come across any who've, who are that sharp at uh, Wanting to do something quite differently.
1: So when you say when you ask that question, the first uh, client that comes to mind is a woman led company that I work with called First Hand Foods and their goal. They are really looking to uh, transform the way pasture raised meats, the way that meat gets consumed. And so Mm. they've taken a systems approach and gone out and said, okay, we're gonna partner with the actual farmers and we're gonna contract with them uh, and be their conduit to the marketplace. So it's a variety and the way that they've approached it is we're gonna help you sell your meat to institutions. We're gonna help you sell your meat into you know, uh, high end, uh, restaurants, We're going to help you some uh, cooperatives certainly, and mm-hmm. some end consumer. But it's this whole systems approach of like, how do we take? And the unique thing that they do is they take the whole animal. So like anybody like you can sell a grass fed steak all day long. Right. Mm-hmm. But all the other parts of the animal, like how do you uh, how do you get the most benefit for the farmer? is by selling the whole animal. And so they're looking at it from that uh, from that angle, as well as the whole regenerative agriculture angle. So Mm -hmm. when we are measuring their impact, we're measuring the number of animals, of course, the number of farmers that they're partnered with. We're looking at the number of acres that are being grazed. Right. And so looking at all these different aspects and again, tying those back to they are an aspiring B Corp. They're in the process of getting B Corp certified but also putting those within the context of the sustainable development goals so that they can say to the rest of their team, hey, we're connected to something that's much larger. And, and, you know, here's our approach. And they also have, again, a very systems based approach where they're looking at who can they partner with, um, not just in terms of like the processing, but who in other parts of the country, you know, how can they make this a more uh, available Uh, way for for people to get healthier meats and for farmers to, you know, small scale farmers. These are not large scale farmers. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. I get that. And and uh, and all over the country, uh, there would be there would be people to partner with. And, you know, here's another nice plus uh, since you and I were working in the in the vineyards back in the day, you know, trying to get some uh, social ideas up and running. And, and now um, though your your partner clients mm-hmm. who are doing this unusual work uh, can go to dozens and dozens of websites and dozens and dozens of uh, uh, places to connect, like with Zoom, which thank God for Zoom for the last couple yeah. of years, it saved us all and they can start. Saying, and let me show you here. Let me put it on my screen. (laughs) This is; these are our numbers. This this is ninety three percent of that animal has been put to uh, to uses beyond uh, anything that normally would have been imagined back then, and uh, very little waste. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we are also helping the farmers figure out how to use uh, manure and other things, other things that go along with that process to, you know, to grant uh, for organic uses and other, you know, so I can see the minds working on all the ways that you take a, a particular, uh, animal and, uh, and all the things that they could do. So they've got a, they've got a community and now they've also, once they reach B Corp status, they will have the B Corp community to work in too. So I, I'm, I'm rounding this out with, a, with an interest in how you think this movement is going to help out with what's called the great resignation generation <laughs> who are saying, eh, we've learned through pandemic that this, we want to be, you know, the whole person doing something. Do you think there's a nice connection between B Corps uh, attracting some of those people in helping out, reallocate some of those talents?
1: Absolutely. I think that this is, you know, as uh, the whole concept, the movement grows you know, for a long time, just talking with young people and I've done, I've dabbled in a little bit of teaching myself. It was like this, it was an either or it was either I'm going to do work and I'm going to make a good living, or I'm going to go and not make any money. And, you know, the traditional, you know, work for a nonprofit, for example. Well, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so now there's this wave that we get to, and nothing. there's anything wrong with working with nonprofits, right. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, but now there is this middle path, as that's I right. say, of of being able to really uh, know that the organization that you're working for or with is walking the walking the walk, right, of what they mm-hmm. say the values that people are looking for meaning in their lives. I mean, that's oh, yes. what that's that's what you know, folks just working for the next dollar. There's not a lot of meaning in that, right? And just, you know, making the next deal or, you know, uh, driving the next quarter penny off, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not meaningful for people. But what is meaningful for people is helping to solve some of the greatest challenges that we have, right? Uh, As a society, socially and as well as environmentally.
0: So wouldn't you want to design your practice life around that folks (laughs) around that way? Because when, when Peter and I delved very deeply into the meaning of practice for the individual meaning was meaning. (laughs) In other words, you don't choose to to elevate your efforts to a practice level. uh, If you are basically unsure of why. So once you can make that alignment, uh, with uh, with uh, an entity, an organization, even a game, I guess, that really uh, makes that meaningness, meaningfulness come alive, the learning becomes the foremost experience. And you just can't learn enough because you're constantly overcoming challenges as you as your husband did when you started your business and you've solved the problem. Now you've got a community of people to help with the learning. Uh in a, in a way of closing out this conversation, can you imagine learning as well and as much as you have <laughs> if you hadn't taken on this, this journey?
1: I don't know any other way that we learn, Dave, than by doing, you know, I mean, and so I love that you know, this is a conversation about practice because mm-hmm. and and no of course and i would not have learned it's a cliche to say but i would not have learned if i hadn't made the mistakes that All i've wrong, made yeah. you know and i would not have learned if i had not had other people beside me who were learning similar lessons so again yep. thank you for your leadership in this area
0: well, thank you for yours too, Maria. I, and I will hope we will stay in connection. I, I believe I'm going to have a conversation with Mel Hubner. Excellent. Who- who uh, is your your colleague. And I was so fascinated with how she reached out to me that I said, well, let's do a podcast with you.
1: <laughs> I love that. I can't wait. I cannot wait to hear that. It's a big part of my work, Dave, is like, it's not just, you know, we think of leadership as the people who are, you know, quote unquote in charge. No, leadership is about all of how everybody in the organization across the organization is being together. And so mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear her perspective and what she says
0: yeah well i'll let you know when it's done (laughs) she will for sure but thank you so much marie kingery wonderful wonderful person and keep up that great work
1: thank you dave thanks so much for your time i appreciate it
0: if you'd like to hear more listen in on spotify automatic Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.